Hello, welcome to Orion Talks. My name is Suat Cibuccio. I'm a senior fellow at Orion Policy Institute, and I have a, we have a distinguished guest today, Nadia Postyuk. Uh, welcome, Nadia. Uh, hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, thank you, Nadia, for coming. Nadia Kostik is an assistant professor at the School of Public Policy at Georgia Institute of Technology, and her research focuses on security studies, modern warfare, cyber conflict, and Russian and Eurasian politics. Um, Nadia, so we observe the conflict between Russia and Ukraine escalates, especially after Russian President Putin recognized the independence of two regions in eastern Ukraine. Uh, however, I would like to talk about the developments on the cyber space, the conflict on the cyber space rather than the developments on the ground. Um, so I want to start the conversation with the first question of, um, you know, Ukrainian authorities have been reporting an increasing number of cyber attacks from Russia as the conflict has been escalated between two countries in the past weeks. So could you please explain the significance and the nature of Russia's uh, cyber threats against Ukraine? Absolutely, I'll be happy to. So in order to answer the question, I will just briefly like to look at the sort of history. Since Ukraine has been a giant test lab where Russia, which is one of the world's foremost cyber powers, has examined with cyber operate, has been experimenting with cyber operations for the, for the eight uh, years. Ukraine experienced cyber attacks, which thought to sabotage an opponent's ability to fight. For example, um, the Russian-backed separatists in the Donetsk and Luhansk region used malware to retrieve data from mobile devices on the location of Ukrainian artillery troops, which facilitated them uh, with better reconnaissance against these troops. Also, Ukraine experienced the track record of cyber operations as standalone instrument in this gray zone or hybrid conflict, which included election interference, critical infrastructure sabotage, specifically attacks against electric power grids in 2015 and 2016, as well as economic disruption. So previous research on this topic, including works on my own, as well as other scholars who look at this conflict, show that most cyber operations made no measurable contribution towards Russia's strategic goals. So what have these eight years taught us about the significance and natures of Russia's cyber threats that Ukraine is currently facing. Um, as we have already started witnessing some cyber operations, it is clearly the case that Russia is not planning to use them along, uh, is planning to use them along military force. But given the past ending from my research and research conducted by other scholars on this topic, cyber operations are unlikely to provide significant strategic advantage to Russia. Here's why. Let's examine the recent cyber attacks that you referred to. In January, we had a defacement campaign affecting 70 Ukrainian websites. This campaign remained largely inconsequential and insignificant, as most websites were quickly restored, no data was lost or completely destroyed. Initial analysis indicated that this intrusion exploited the log4j vulnerability, which had only become known a few weeks earlier reflected opportunistic and short-term planning. The second discovered intrusion, which was named Whispergate, it was a pseudo ransomware that corrupts the content of the file without a way of restoring it, turned out to be a less sophisticated than the non-patio operation that Ukraine witnessed in 2014. And also this Whispergate 
Malware was discovered on the systems belonging to the Ukrainian government before it could cause any particular damage. Then a few weeks ago, uh, we saw an attack on private bank, the, uh, the on private bank, the nation's largest commercial bank, which was hit with a denial of service attack. Again, it temporarily interfered with the customers along ba banking services, but it was restored within uh, a few hours. And the same week, we, we saw an attack um, that uh, targeted the website of Ukraine's defense military uh, ministry and armed forces. Again, there was some sort of disruption, but there was no significant damage. So if we think about the potential plausible cyber, cyber threats that Ukraine could face, I would distinguish the two types. The first one is that there is no doubt that Russia will continue penetrating Ukrainian networks. For instance, the recently classified US intelligence says that the Russian government uh, hackers have likely um, already broadly penetrated Ukrainian military, energy, and other critical uh, computer networks to collect intelligence and to position themselves potentially to disrupt those systems to complement Russia's actions on the ground. Uh, again, Moscow could, could seek to disrupt these various critical infrastructure and entities, but uh, the significance and the impact of these operations might be limited, as we've seen from the previous attacks by the Russian government on other objects of Ukrainian critical infrastructure. Second, we also could see unintended disruption spreading beyond uh, its intended targets in Ukraine, as happened with the case Nonpetya. But again, such attacks that will have greater scope and some uh, detrimental effects that will go beyond the Ukrainian borders can have potential greater cost for Russia and less strategic value. Again, as a result of non-Petya operations, we saw the Western countries implemented economic sanctions, which again hurt Russian, the Russian Federation to some extent. Yeah, so you give really specific examples on some cyber attacks from Russia and whether it's effective or not. Do you think these attacks have the potential um, to substitute or complement physical action? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that's that's something that has been discussed a lot uh, in December prior to the actual uh, prior to the actual physical invasion uh, by the Russian government in Ukraine. When the Russia just placed the troops on the Ukrainian border, we see that sort of these two sides of the debate being highlighted, right? So the, on the wide side, on the one side, we had scholars who said, we don't even need to use uh, force. Russia doesn't even need to use force in this conflict because it can go um, have um, it, can, it can basically achieve the same effect uh, using cyber operations across the border. Um, there were other group of scholars who said, no, Russia will use force, but it also will start with cyber operations because these are great complements to military force. Mm -hmm. um, we now, of course, see that the substitution hypothesis, right, the side when Russia will can just simply use cyber operations across the border, obviously didn't have um, any support given that we see the military shelling in Eastern Ukraine. I would say we also should be very careful when considering the strategic value from the, uh, from the complementary use of cyber operations in the Ukrainian conflict as evidence, again, from my previous research, um, uh, supporting this complementarity perspective is quite sobering. 
So particularly, I co-authored, uh, uh, I work with a co-author uh, from the University of Michigan, Yuri Zhukov, and we examined the role of lower level disruptive cyber operations in the military conflict and their relevance for the battlefield events and outcomes. In our analysis, specifically, we focus on the period of the most intense fighting um, between 2014 and 2016. And this is because this was the time that if cyber tools are an effective complement to armed forces invasion, we would have seen a potential effect. We applied a series of statistical uh, methods on thousands of cyber military operations, and we find no strategic effect of cyber operations. Specifically, we showed a strong escalatory dynamic between military operations by either side, right? It's not surprising that we see sort of tit for tat uh, response with both military forces of fighting on the, on the ground, but no significant correlation in either direction between military and cyber operations, and no reciprocity between cyber operations. So this evidence demonstrates that in one of the first armed conflicts where, where both sides use low-level cyber operations extensively, digital operations unfolded independently from the events on the ground and had no effect on them. So in stark contrast, contrast to the expectations about the force multiplying advantage of cyber operations, this finding suggests that hacking groups face considerable difficulties in responding to the battlefield events, much less shaping them. As a result, this evidence clearly indicates the cyber operations are neither likely to be capable of substituting for the use of force or significantly enhanced military effectiveness. This is neither to say the cyber operations are not strategically irrelevant, nor the cyber operations used to support conventional operations on the technical level cannot create strategic effect, but we haven't seen such an effect in the case of Ukraine yet. So again, I would say, even though that we will see and hear more about cyber operations during the upcoming week, I would say the military force will remain the primary instrument that Russia uses in, the, in this ongoing conflict, something that we have seen over yeah. two days ago. Yeah, so if this is the case, if you don't find any significant kind of impact, especially as a as a complementary to the physical action, then what's the major goal of the Russia in this cyber warfare against Ukraine? You, can you talk about kind of long-term and short-term strategies? Right, absolutely. So the long-term strategy, we sort of known the strategy for, again, for, for, for some time, uh, which hasn't changed over the last eight years, right? So uh, the Russia's long-term strategy was to use any possible tools to make Ukraine abandon its pro-European pro Union and pro-NATO foreign policy. And the fact that Russia had to use military force reflects the failure of its cyber war. Um, in Ukraine. As I, as I mentioned, Ukraine has been a testing ground of cyber warfare um, for the last eight years, and Russia tried a lot of different ways to, uh, to achieve this long-term goal, but it hasn't happened. As a result, it had to play troops, and now, as we see, uh, there, is a potential, there is an invasion of the eastern Ukraine. So the, the, the alternative so if cyber, the question is like, right, if cyber warfare is not effective, 
So why would uh, Russia would like to use cyber operations at all? So of course, cyber operations are useful for intelligence collection, which is very helpful for the combatant support and so for battlefield effectiveness. An alternative or additional uh, reason why cyber operations are useful here is that um, they, they can provide this, uh, 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 they can sow they can panic and fear and destabilize country from within, demonstrating that country is not able to defend itself, uh, given that it's not able to defend uh, its own websites, right? And we have seen a little bit as a result, some panic among the population as a result of some attacks against the bank of the Ministry of Defense, etc. But also we have to remember that when we talk about cyber uh, tools, information or disinformation operations spread through social media, through uh, internet also is an important tool, right? So um, again, at the beginning of December, at the beginning of January as well, uh, press secretary to the White House also pointed the potential psychological effects uh, from cyber operations aim to change the minds of the Ukrainian populations. Specifically, uh, they recorded an increase of 2,000% of the daily average in the Russian language content on social media. And all these efforts aim to influence uh, the, the public perception of the Russian interveners in Ukraine and to increase their support for humanitarian uh, intervention by the Russian Federation. Um, again, the previous research conducted by researchers uh, in, at the University of Zurich demonstrates that there is a limited efficacy of social media disinformation campaigns on changing public opinion yet, but I still would say that this is a very worrisome trend and we should, of course, uh, pay attention. Yeah, so you talk about the kind of cyber storm against Ukraine and uh, I think I like the idea of like seeing Ukraine as a kind of testing ground for Russia. So uh, do you think Russia's cyber attacks on Ukraine can spill over and destabilize NATO countries, including European countries and the United States? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I would say that intended, unta intended attacks would be not very wise uh, from the mm -hmm. Russian side, but absolutely there is a danger potential spillover effect. And this is what we've, again, we, we've seen from sort of examining the historical record. And this is what we've seen in the case of non-PETA operations, uh, operation who actually uh, cost uh, uh, a lot of money to Ukraine, but also it cost more than $10 billion uh, in total damages globally, according to the White House, House uh, assessment. Um, and but also on PETA, it demonstrated the main shortcomings of cyber operations. The first one is the uh, risk of losing control over the spread of these effects, producing unintended consequences, adding additional cost, and also uh, decreasing the strategic value. So as a result of these attacks, the, 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 the spillover effects were not only uh, extended to the Western governments, but also it affected even uh, Russia, including the state-controlled oil giant Rosneft. And also as a result of these attacks, the Western countries imposed sanctions 
on Russia. And uh, um, as a result, it decreased the strategic value. So of course, we could see these unintended consequences, but I would say it wouldn't be sort of, it wouldn't be a part uh, of the Russia strategies. Um, but if you look at the sort of public information in the, in the news, a lot of Western companies and governments, they are preparing for potential spillover effects. In particular, those companies that, um, uh, that have direct links with the Ukrainian national banks or other objects of critical infrastructure, they are particularly worrisome because these, uh, the attacks against these objects can potentially have a spillover effects on the, these Western companies. Um, but again, uh, hopefully the damage will be limited. It could be contained. Yeah, uh, thank you. So you talk about spillover effect. Also, there are some intentional direct effects, especially when we look at the United States. Um, we have seen many Russian cyber campaigns directed towards the United States. For example, DNC hack or solar winds are the two examples. Um, do, you do you think what will be the best strategy to respond to these Russian oriented cyber attacks? Do you think the US should employ a counter cyber attack to deter such attacks from overseas, especially from Russia? So I want to be very original uh, when giving these options. I think I will just sort of repeat the usual uh, suspects in the foreign policy tool that the governments have been using uh, mm -hmm. with different frequency when it comes to Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, right? Uh, so obviously mm -hmm. the best option, I think, uh, it's, it's, it takes time uh, and it's sort of a little bit too late at this point, but the best thing is to build better resilience and better defenses. And obviously the US government uh, knows that this is an important thing. The Western countries have been building better defenses for the objects of their critical national infrastructure, their governmental agencies for some time. So again, hopefully uh, the landscape of possible uh, cyber attacks has been decreasing over time, even, even, even though it's very possible, very difficult to defend against every single threat, right? But also mm -hmm. we've seen that this uh, better building better defenses and building better resilience, it was on top of the uh, minds of the Western leaders um, because uh, United States CISA, or Cybersecurity Infrastructures uh, Security Agency, uh, issued a warning of the risk of cyber attacks spill over onto the S networks. Um, also, uh, the European Central Bank also has one European financial institution of the potential risk of uh, retaliatory Russian cyber attacks in case the West implements sanctions. So again, it seems that they have been given some instructions to these uh, various uh, objects of critical infrastructure, various companies, and have been preparing from that end. Another option is to impose sanctions on the Russian Federation. So again, mm -hmm. the US government and Western government, they have a long record of imposing sanctions, whether they are indeed effective and whether they add additional costs is always a question, but obviously this is one of those uh, readily available foreign policy tools. And this, again, we've heard it from uh, the Biden administration and from other leaders of the Western states that this is what they are planning mm -hmm. to do. And actually they have been doing, right, as, as you mentioned, the, um, in response to Putin's uh, order in which he recognized the independence of the two regions. Um, and 
And the last thing, obviously something that has been sort of recently used as a tool, foreign policy tool, is the option to hack back, right? To attack back using uh, cyber mm-hmm. operations. Um, again, uh, it's it's a sort of an escalatory move. So uh, mm-hmm. we would be very careful about this. We've seen the cases when the US Cyber Command sort of uh, uh, took down the internet research agency based in St. Petersburg in Russia in 2018 to prevent it from interfering uh, during the midterm mm-hmm. elections. But uh, we don't know whether this could be, um, uh, this is this is sort of, it's not in the public domain whether this is currently an option or not, right? Uh, I am confident that the US government is in various uh, networks of the Russian Federation probably has some access to some strategic tools, but uh, again, this is a sort of risky move at this stage. And so I, I think it would be unlikely respond, um, a response at this time. Yeah, so great, thank you. So you provide a kind of an holistic approach and a comprehensive perspective on what's the threat and what kind of tools we can use. So when you look at the overall picture, do you think Western countries are overestimating or exaggerating the threat? And how does the perpetuating fears of cyber play, cyber war play into the Russia's hand, especially when you think about public discourse and public perception about cyber, uh, cyber threats? So I would say to some extent, right? But again, we are, mm-hmm. we're learning about this from the publicly available information, um, right? So we've seen, we've seen a discussion about possible threats from various commentaries by uh, Western media. Um, and we've, uh, to some extent, the, seen this predominance of the cyber doom, cyber Pearl Harbor scenario, which was very typical at the beginning of 2000. Um, they became a little bit, uh, you know, uh, they, they sort of slowed down over the last two years. But prior to the Ukrainian conflict, there was a lot of sort of discussion how important cyber would be and how the Russian government can potentially take down objects of critical infrastructure and create these spillovers effects uh, on the Western state. Um, but as I said, I will uh, bring back the importance of doing research and sort of learning from the history. Of course, when you think about cyber operations against Ukraine and the effect of taking power grid in Ukraine is very much different than taking a power grid in the US. Or if the bank is not working for a few minutes in Ukraine, uh, where a lot of people don't use, most people don't use online banking at all, versus taking Bank of America even for a few minutes, right? The effects of it are very, very different. But also our previous research shows that in Ukraine, the cyber attacks, they were like minor irritants. They didn't, they remained irrelevant uh, for the development and for the outcomes of the battlefield event. And so we have to be a little bit more realistic of what could be um, achieved. Um, and you're absolutely right that giving in to these fears risks fighting threats that don't exist. And play it would also help uh, Russia um, to uh, distract the Western states from the need to counter its military threats. And also potentially playing to distress with, uh, with so fear and confusion, uh, not only among the Ukrainian public, but also among the Western audience. And uh, my sort of recommendations would be, again, we have to be, uh, we have to be sort of uh, rely on, on the data, uh, on the sort of 
reliable research, even if it's in public domain, to understand whether the uh, whether uh, cyber operations can be can be useful in this uh, in this in this way and um, should not um, should not distract our resources our limited resources from fighting the phantom threats that actually do not exist. Uh, Nadia, thank you so much for your great insights. I learned so much from our conversation today. Thank you for your time and thank you for. Um, these great uh, comments on on this timely topic. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I was glad to talk to you.